was a cheerleader for the San Antonio Spurs. So all really? that schooling and uh, yeah, all that schooling and I ended up being a professional cheerleader for the Spurs here in San Antonio. Uh, so yeah, I did that for a few years, and in the meantime, I was actually working for uh, Porsche and Volvo. Um, what I do is I did a lot of the uh, in-house uh, diagnostic stuff, checking the cars, see how they, you know what's going on with them, what's wrong with them, or what needs to be done with them, and then had guys work on them and get them ready for sale. Hello, everyone. This is Turu Duo, the Filipino restaurant podcast, where each week we profile restaurants or food trucks serving delicious Filipino cuisine. This is your host, Gene Karangal, avid home cook and event promoter for the Adobe Slowdown Cooking Competition and Food Expo. This week, I'm with David Guitwan, owner-operator of Rock and Rolls, Texas, a restaurant that combines traditional Filipino offerings with Mexican, Italian, and American cuisine. Hi guys, uh, my name, uh, like Gene saying, is David Ritualo. I actually am the owner and head chef of uh, Rock and Rolls, Texas, down here in San Antonio. Um, yeah, pretty simple. We just like okay. to cook some good food, and that's what we're here for. Awesome. So where is your restaurant located? We are actually nestled currently inside Doc Brown's. It is a very popular nightclub here in San Antonio. And the address uh, is a 6511 North Loop 1604 West, uh, San Antonio, Texas, 78254. Okay. For those of, uh, those of the listeners who are not, uh, not uh, aware of where that is in San Antonio, what part of the city is, is Doc Brown's located in? We're actually looking on the northwest side, out close to uh, about 10 minutes from SeaWorld. Okay, cool. 10 minutes from SeaWorld. And then what hours are you open? Like what days and hours are you open? We are open from Tuesday to Saturday at 3 p.m. to 12.30 a.m. So we're more of a dinner time slash late night eatery. Okay. And then you are inside the, Doc Brown's is a bar, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. It is a, I want to say close to 5,000 square feet, 4,000 square foot bar. So I, I wanted to ask you, um, let's see, where, where did you, so David, where did you grow up? Um, most of my life I was uh, living in Texas. I'm actually a military brat, you know, kind of standard Filipino family. Dad's in the Navy, mom's a nurse. I was born in uh, Ellsworth, Maine. And um, just been all over the U.S., uh, you know, getting moved around as much as my dad was sent around. So I uh, grew up, born in Maine, most of the time I grew up in uh, Florida, D.C., and then the later part of my life, of uh, all of my adulthood was in Texas. Okay. Where did your, your mother and father meet? Uh, I want to say they met in... Lathy, my dad was born in Manila. My mom was born in Lathy, and I want to say that's where they met. And then you, uh, so were they? Did they get married in the Philippines, or did they get married here? They were married in the states. And then, so you were born in Maine. Is that yes. correct? Okay, so you you grew up in Maine. Did you um, did you grow up speaking the Tagalog, or did you... no? Um, I I was actually we did spend too too much time in Maine. Okay. Um, so just, you know, I want to I say like a couple years and then we were on the move again. But yeah, my parents, did, they didn't uh, teach us a whole lot of Tagalog with me or my siblings. Um, most of the Tagalog we learned was just picking up from our uncles and aunts and, you know, the this kind of the standard, you know, short answer part of language. Okay. This is, this is very, very common because <clears throat> I remember uh, my cousins who grew up here. Uh, they had to be taught, and they were taught to just hey, just speak in English because if they didn't, if they were if they were speaking Tagalog, they would mix up their words, they would mix up English mm-hmm. and Tagalog to their friends. So yeah, my uncles and, and aunts you know, had to put the stop to that. So I, I totally understand. Um, do you do you understand Tagalog now? Uh, I understand small bits and pieces. Most of it is through context, like what we're doing, you know, so it does make it easier. I probably speak more Spanish than I do Tagalog living in Texas for so long. Yep, that, make, that makes sense. So, so you were, when you were growing up, you were like a, a, a military brat, right? So you were just moving from state to state? Yes, we were. Okay, and then, so where did you go to, where did you go to high school? Where did you, where did you finish high school? 
Um, I finished high school in Corpus Christi, Texas. So the last post my dad was at, uh, it was NASC CAD. So we were out there. And um, that's where I finished high school, Flower Bluff. Okay. And then, so did you go to school after high school? I did. Uh, I went to Texas State or Southwest Texas State. Um, graduated political science with an emphasis in law. And then after that, came down to San Antonio and uh, started a cheerleading business and then went back to school to get my master's. Okay, a cheerleading business. So mm -hmm. what does that involve? Is it like a, a, a cheerleading school or like a supply? So what, what is that? Well, I at Texas State, I was actually, I played soccer my whole life and football. So when I went to Texas State, I, I wanted to get back in athletics. And one of my buddies was a cheerleader. And I, you know, tagged along with him for a couple, couple practices. I saw all the pretty girls and said I wanted to join too. And I taught myself how to do backflips, throw girls in the air, you know, um, build pyramids and all sorts of crazy stuff. And that's how that started as a cheerleader in college. Okay. So, uh, so, okay. I, so your business was what? Who? Coaching. This, okay, it was, co it was coaching an okay. all-star team. Yeah, I coached an all-star team and I coached the University of the Incarnate Word. Um, while I was in college, I actually traveled around and I judged high school competitions, cheerleading tryouts. I did all that stuff. So I was real big in that circuit for a long time. Okay. And so how long did you do that? How did you, how long did you have your cheerleading business? Um, the cheerleading business I only had for about two years because after I started coaching the University Incarnate Word, they rec they um, recruited me to be their graduate assistant. And then I did my master's program with the University Incarnate Word as a cheerleader. Okay. And so you got your, uh, so you, you went back to school. So what did you get your, your master's in? Um, I did my master's in business administration and uh, marketing. So after uh, business school, what did you do? Um, after business school, I had, uh, actually was a cheerleader for the San Antonio Spurs. So all really? that schooling and uh, yeah, all that schooling and I ended up being a professional cheerleader for the Spurs here in San Antonio. Uh, so yeah, I did that for a few years. And in the meantime, I was actually working for uh, Porsche and Volvo. Um, what I do is I did a lot of the uh, in-house um, diagnostic stuff, checking on cars, see how, you know, what's going on with them, what's wrong with them or what needs to be done with them. And then had guys work on them and get them ready for sale. So I did that for a few years. Um, okay. So uh, do your cheerleading with, with, with the Spurs, this is the, the professional team, the San Antonio Spurs, right? Yes. And then, yes. so you went to basically were at all the home games. Yes. We did all the home games and yeah, I ran around with the big flag and, you know, just kind of smiled at kids, signed autographs and took pictures with a whole bunch of people. Oh, that sounds like a fun job. Definitely. Yeah. So how long <laughs> did you do that? I did that from, uh, let's see, one, two, about five years. Okay, I would say four so what, to five years. Okay, so what years were those? Were those the championship years? Like, yes, what, 2003 to 2007. Oh, I think so, it was my last one. So you, you had three championships during mm -hmm. your tenure. That's got to be so awesome. Yeah, it was, it was uh, definitely fun, you know. I, it was a, an experience to be out of the court and for you know, some of these games and, and see how crazy the crowd gets and and just the excitement of the whole thing. And then they give you a cool ring at the end. So, you know, definitely, definitely a neat experience. And then you went to the, the, the parades and stuff too, right? Yes. Yes, we had to be in all the parades. Did you get like pictures with the Spurs players at all? Or? Not not so much. I mean, we, we spend so much time at the AT&T Center and, and with the guys, it, it's, you know, you, you kind of just get to the point where it's like they teach you to not be a fan okay um and you know a lot of times we don't really you don't really want to bug with the bug the players they got their own stuff going and then so after that after you after your your stint with the spurs so you're working with a uh did you say it was a car dealer or yeah i worked with a portion volvo here in san antonio it was a primarily a volvo car scene uh volvo cars uh, okay yeah volvo so, cars Okay, so were you in sales or like which? which I would be more on the new car, more of a an advisor position. Um, I didn't sell any of the cars, but I would basically, you know, get with the uh, new and most of the used car guy because the new cars would come in and they're fine, but used cars that would come in or um, we would go to auction. I basically would inspect them with the used car manager and you know, make sure they're, you know, good to buy and good to sell. And if they need anything done, I'd have the guys repair them and get them set up to get sold. 
Okay. So how long did you do that? That I did for about, I want to say three years. Okay, for three years. Yeah. And then after the dealership, where did you go? After the dealership, I actually went to um, Nationwide Insurance. I worked with Nationwide for, for a good 13 years after that. Okay, 13 years. So what did you do at, at Nationwide? I primarily was a sales instructor. So for the latter part of the last 10 years, I taught people how to sell. I got people set up with their licenses, um, taught them the insurance law and insurance practices, and then selling tactics and techniques, and then also how to uh, use the uh, software that we had there. Um, they also had me traveling a lot. I would go primarily like Ohio and Iowa and all these other places, and I would teach what's called uh, Orange Frog. It's kind of a TED Talks. It's like a two-day seminar on positive thought and how to increase revenue. Positive. So did you do seminars or did you just do like uh talk? They, they're more like seminars. So we'd go in and I would have, you know, classes and I would teach them different things and different um, approaches to sales. And then, so you were with Nation, so are you still with Nationwide? No, after uh, once COVID hit, they they had to do some corporate restructuring and and uh, I was part of that restructuring. Okay, <laughs> you, got, you got structured out of Nationwide. I did. Ouch. So, so what happened after that? Well, that's when I was, you know, wanted to figure out what I was going to do next. Do I stay in the corporate world or, you know, do I move on? And in the meantime, it was COVID. So not very many people were doing a whole lot of anything at that time. So I figured, you know, I was just cooking at my house and some people wanted me to make them pancit and lumpia. So I had, you know, through all the potlucks and whatnot at work, I got a pretty good following of people who wanted that. So I started making it for them and people would ask where they got it from. So I started a Facebook page for friends that they could just ask me if they want food. And within a couple months, I was delivering food out of my house. And then when did you decide that, hey, I need to open a restaurant? Um, I probably a couple months after I started. I was like, you know, we're kind of outgrowing business and it's, you know, let's go ahead and take it to the next level. It was going to be pretty lucrative. And, um, you know, it, it's kind of, you want to take it to that legit level where you're, you know, actually doing it for a living. And it's uh, went ahead and took that step. That's what we did. Okay. So you did to, to expand your business. You had a, a, a home-based business that was growing and you wanted to take it to the next level. Mm -hmm. So you went from, from home to, uh, so how long did it take for you to, you know, first when you decided, okay, I'm doing the restaurant to when you actually opened the restaurant? Um, like I said, it was about a couple months. I was cooking out of my house and I would, I had gone to a, um, a couple bars and they were like, Hey, can you cook outside the bar? And, um, so I went out there with a flat top and a couple fryers and, you know, it's kind of a side gig just where I was just doing that to, you know, make a few extra bucks in the meantime, until I figured out what I wanted to do. And, uh, like I said, next thing I know, you know, I get a call and, um, they want to open doc Brown's and they couldn't do it without calling it a restaurant. Cause it was still during COVID. Mm. Um, so they needed a restaurant status. They need to open their kitchen. So they said, were you interested? And I said, well, let me think about it. They called me the next day. They said, hey, we really want to do this because we really want to open. And I said, all right, when do you want to do it? And they said, this afternoon. <laughs> so they tell me on a Thursday morning about nine o'clock. And by four o'clock, I hired the staff and filled the walk-in and had everyone cleaning out that kitchen so we can put just a couple things on a menu so we can get started with that. And then about a week later, two weeks later, we you know, got everything vamp, uh, revamped and got our menu built and everything else like that. And then we were, we were off and running. So you pretty much fast-tracked your, your restaurant then? Yes, definitely. So I was going to ask you if you had a business, business plan for opening the restaurant. Did you have a, a structured business plan? Like how, how did you plan this out? Yeah, my, my business plan was pretty structured. It was just don't fail. So, <laughs> and that was the plan, you know, okay. um, really it was just a matter of it. it I, I used to work in restaurants for a while. I mean, I did a little bit of front of the house, a little bit of the back of the house, you know, bartending, server, um, spent a lot of time with, in the kitchen with, the, with a few restaurants like in Corpus and then when I was in school and then, uh, and even a short, a short sit here when I, where I graduated. Um, so I kind of had a general idea. But, you know, it, it's kind of like most things in life. It, it's no matter how prepared you think you are, you're not going to be prepared all the way. So it's, you know, do the best you can. And, and since it was at that time, it's like, all right, well, I, you have to kind of jump on it and 
make it work from there. So was there a, a an actual business plan written out or anything? No, I, I from nine o'clock in the morning till 4 p.m. It was just getting people hired and start just get running. That's what it was. So yeah, not not a formal business plan rather. Okay. So you went from an industry like the insurance industry is I would think fairly stable to an, an industry where one in three restaurants will fail in the first year. Mm -hmm. That's a that's very bold. Yeah. It's a, you know, I I, I mean I played football and soccer all my entire life and all these other sports. And I literally went from that to being a collegiate cheerleader in about two weeks. So, you know, you learn to make those crazy steps like that and you're going to fail along the way. You're going to fail at certain things, but as long as, you know, you get back up and you keep pushing or at the end of the day, overall, you know, the likelihood of you failing totally would be a lot less. So how did you open the, the restaurant? Did you have to go through any kind of financing or did you just bootstrap it? Did you go through um, friends and family? No, everything was pretty solo. I did everything pretty much on my own. Uh, no loans, no, no family donated money. Like I just had a good support cast of really good friends who were um, really supportive. Um, and, you know, they just kept pushing me and, and told me, you know, and I, I mean, I did have a few dollars that I got from a severance check from 13 years at, in insurance. But uh, yeah, nope. So far, that, that it's been pretty much just kind of running solo dolo. Okay, so how much of the so it, it was Doc Brown's a bar, and then they just uh, they gave you use of their kitchen. Like, was everything already built to spec, or did you have to do any? Uh, did you have to do any additions to the kitchen? Well, with them being closed for over a year or so, and the last guys in that kitchen did not take care of it very well, uh, we didn't have to do any full-on rebuilds on anything, but everything had to be taken out, torn up, cleaned up. Um, and we basically worked with what we got. And since then, we've been adding stuff. Okay. Um, just kind of reinvesting into the into the kitchen. Um, but yeah, and that, that's pretty much how that went. It was a... It was a pretty ugly time cleaning all that stuff after it's been sitting for over a year. Okay. And then do you, do you remember the, your opening date? When did Not you open? Uh, I want to say, I want to say November of last year. Or, I mean, I know we've been up for about a year and a half. Okay. I don't know. Time escapes you really quick when you're in the, this business. You don't even know what day it is. You go in the week. Yep. So um, did you, did you do a soft open or did you just announce to everybody and say, hey, doors open, everybody come on in? Yeah, I, I basically use social media. Um, they wanted to open the bar on a particular day or that, that Thursday. And uh, uh, I didn't want to completely announce it yet. So I was still, as if we were running out of the house still, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to tell everyone, hey, we're over here now. And then a week later, we're out of there. Mm -hmm. So because everything was up in the air during that time. Um, so we just kept doing work we were doing, you know, we were still shoveling food out of Doc Brown's and anyone who would come into the bar, we would also take care of them. And, um, once we got the okay from Doc Brown's that, hey, you know, we want you guys to stay. Uh, that's when I just, I utilize social media and just said, hey, well, this is our new home. Okay. So how long did that take when you, when you uh, first opened when you first started cooking there at Doc Browse to when they asked you, like, hey, let's let's go ahead and make this a, a permit, make this permanent. After about a week, they realized that, you know, it's not just kind of a fly by night yeah. thing that I'm doing. And they understood that I, I had goals and mm -hmm. and um, work ethic. And they were just like they were impressed by it. So it was really nice of them to let us go in there and just uh, make a semi-permanent home, so to speak. That did not take long at all. That, no. That's a testament to the results you were able to produce. Um, let's see, let's do a deep dive. Now I want to do a deep dive on your menu. Can you walk us through your menu? Let's talk about the appetizers first. What appetizers do you offer? Um, some of our popular appetizers. So before we go into the Olympia, because that's a whole different set of appetizers, uh, we do have loaded fries. Um, uh, we have a buffalo style fry. We have a it's our we have a patented rock and roll style fry um, that um, we come up with a while back. 
we also have wings. On uh, Wednesday, we do a 99 cent wing for Working Women's Wednesday. We also offer pot stickers and standard bar food like your cheese sticks, fried mushrooms. Uh, let's see what else we have there. Of course, we have our nachos. Everything is named, named or labeled after like a musician or music related since we are rock and rolls. Okay. Uh, so that makes it a little, makes yep. it kind of fun. Um, yeah, I, I would say that that's pretty much the gist of it. A lot of it's just kind of a fun food and a, for like kind of a bar atmosphere. And we put a little spin and twist on a lot of things. Okay, now let's talk about the rolls part, the Lumpia. Okay. Yeah, so uh, our rolls, you know, it's kind of neat. I, my, my girlfriend, I, I have to give her credit on some of those rolls. Um, we were eating stuff and we're like, you know, this would be really good if you could eat this without a fork and spoon and knife and all sorts of crazy things. So we started rolling things and uh, a lot of those, that's how a lot of those were born. Uh, we have our authentic rock and rolls, which is just this regular lumpia. And then we have the uh, Carlos Santana. That's one of our more popular ones. That's a chicken enchilada roll. Our Motown Philly is a Philadelphia cheesesteak roll. Uh, we have the return of the Mac. That's a Mac and cheese roll. Um, we do have a few dessert rolls like our BB King. That's a blueberry crumble cake. The Sound of Music is an apple strudel roll, and we have our uh, New York New York roll. It's a New York style cheesecake with cherries. Um, and I want to say that would be it. We have a couple more that we're working on that we want to bring out. Oh, we also have our Mambo Italiana. That's a pizza roll. Uh, so that one's a little bit different. We use like an egg roll skin instead of our regular uh, thin rice paper Olympia wrapper. Uh, so it's a it's a good twist on um you know making new new handheld foods. Okay, so I gotta tell you, my favorite is that Philly cheese take roll. That's my absolute favorite. And I still like the classic, the lumpia it is really good. And my wife just totally loved your dessert rolls. Um, it, so what happened was we actually, I think it was just two weeks ago. No, it was just last week, we came to visit you and we got a whole bunch of rolls to go. And I was planning to, I was gonna fly out the next day. I flew out to Chicago the next day and I thought I was gonna bring some rolls. Well, I forgot to bring them. I came back, all the rolls are gone. So, <laughs> so I'll, you know, awesome. I missed on the cheesecake, I missed on the blueberry. And um, I, I have to say those are, oh, I also want to commend you. The way you wrap your rolls, they're very tight. So everything's very enclosed. So there's no oil that gets in, it doesn't get greasy at all. It's just perfect crunch. And so I, I gotta say, you are, I've been to your place about three times already, and you're just consistently this awesome crunch on your, on your egg rolls. Oh, thank you so much. I tell you, you know, so if, if we go way, way back and we want to think like how a lot of this stuff started, I, I had a friend that asked me to make them for her office. And I want to say this is over 20, 20 years ago. Um, and we did, my brother and I, and, and you know, we, that's when we started making them and rolling them. And then next thing I know, it's my brother and I are just selling them frozen. And I, I want to say, like, since then, I, I can easily say that I rolled over twenty-five to 50,000 Olympia. Holy cow. I... Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of Olympia. And do, do, do you, so these are all hand-rolled? Yes. I... I... It's just so consistent the way it's rolled. I was, I was thinking like this got to be a machine, because everything's always consistently. Uh, everything's all they all look uniformly. You know, they're all the same. Now <laughs> what I can tell is like I I can kind of and the, your waitress kind of pointed this out. Like I, at first I asked like how can you tell which one's which and she pointed out okay well. These are the dessert rolls, and then the uh, the egg the the savory rolls look this way, and this is the lumpia. So so there's like minor differences where you can tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a couple like we have one. I forgot to mention the spin doctor. It's a spinach artichoke dip roll. Um, that that's definitely the brainchild of, of my beautiful girlfriend. Okay. She loves spinach artichoke dip, and she <laughs> we we rolled one up and. You could you could tell with that one because the spinach kind of you could kind of see through the wrapper, see yep. it through the wrapper. So there's times we'll you know get confused and it's like oh no, well that's definitely the spinach one. <laughs> so how do you decide on like uh, 
what goes into a role? How do you decide on, on, on just creating a new menu item? Well, you know, I normally it's, you know, just by chance, like you're just tasting things and I'm like, you know, what would be, I, I kind of try to think what would be a cool finger food, you know, or what would someone, if this had a crunch attached to it, how would that work for your palate? You know, and, and there've been plenty of rolls that I've, I've made that didn't make the menu <laughs> to okay. say it nicely. Yep. Um, okay. So yeah, just a lot of, a lot of testing. So here's a follow-up question to that. I already know that if you make a roll and it's awesome, it's on the menu. What was the worst one that you ever rolled and tried and say, hey, this is not gonna see the light of day. What was the worst idea? Uh, you know, this one was actually more of a joke, but because <laughs> I, when I, I used to have roommates when I was, you know, uh, I was younger and these guys would always want me to cook and whatnot. So I would, you know, make lumpia, or I'd have lumpia stowed away in the freezer and, and they would just go and eat them. So I, I would take hot dogs and sneak them inside the middle of like a dozen lumpia and then they would fry them. And then a hot dog on its own is great, but when you eat it with a lumpia, it's just like eating a meat full of salt. So <laughs> it, it doesn't perform as well as a, as a lumpia as it does. Really? You know, or a ballpark food. I would have thought <laughs> that that would be good. Although I did, I did find, uh, have you ever been to the yard house? Mm -hmm. Okay, so they have their version of lumpia and it was like an Italian sausage in an egg roll skin. It was terrible. It was the most horrific I, I, thing know, I've I, ever I had. didn't, I, I want, I saw that. And I yeah, wanted don't, to don't, the, it, yeah don't, don't do it. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, <laughs> it is the worst thing I've ever tasted. Seriously. Maybe I should just go take some wine over there frozen and say, hey, you guys want to yeah. carry this instead? Please, you're... They don't should. They should. You should. They should. You should give them the business. Um, <laughs> hey, I Please don't make my culture look bad. Serve this. <laughs> That's right. This is terrible. This is, you know, normally we give the, you know, we, we give, like for me, I don't think, you know, it's appropriate for us Filipinos to tell others not to cook our food because mm -hmm. we took everybody else's food. We took spaghetti... Oh. And we put hot dogs and banana ketchup. So who am I to tell people not to make our food? But I'm telling the yard house, please do not make lumpia with Italian sausage. Yeah, or, or just it, don't call it. Yeah, don't call it lumpia. <laughs> so I, I did have a, a suggestion. I've seen this now. I, I don't know if you've ever tried it. Have you tried to make uh, put longanisa mixture in the in the in inside the egg roll? I've I heard have. it done and they call it lumpia nisa. I have, I've done some, uh, some pretty crazy ones um, and some are phenomenal. They just don't make the menu because as far as the market for it and the cost and at the current state, like we, we, I don't like to have a lot of overhead at the end of the week. Like I don't like to have a lot of revenue still because um, we like to keep things fresh. So it's hard, like I've made birria lumpia. Um, I've made those, uh, I've done, I've put rib, like actual uh, ribs that I've made before and I put that in lumpia. I've made carnitas out of lumpia and you know, just, it, it's kind of like your inventory, you're kind of like, okay, well, will this sell or how long do I have to keep this and whatnot? Um, but that longanisa, I've done that and it is, it's good, I'm a fan. It's just long enough to get a little pricey. Uh, so yeah. maybe if I can put one together and then, you know, if I if I can get the market right for it, and then of course also get a get a price right for it, especially these days, it's just like with the price of yeah. it going up and it's kind of crazy. What I would do, is, uh, maybe this is a suggestion, instead of making it part of your regular, you know, uh, egg rolls, is make it a special one. And say this mm -hmm. is kind of, and you let people, hey, this is off the menu. If you want to try it, it's you know, but it's not a regular lumpia. So you kind of give them like a uh, mm -hmm. kind of, a, like kind a, of it's a, a special, it's a special meal that's off the menu. It's exclusive. You tell tell people, it's, yeah, kind it's of an very exclusive. exclusive. You a little, yeah. We don't tell anybody about this, but you you look like you you like it, and you, you tell people that you select people to try it. So I'm very curious to see that. The other thing is, I know that you uh, um, 
have been experimenting with CSIG. Have you have you done CSIG Lumpia rolls? I haven't done with Lumpia rolls, but I have done uh, kind of a test with like CSIG tacos. Okay. And they have um, they perform pretty well. Uh, a lot of the people that I give to they they like the citrus mm-hmm. uh, flavor to it. I mean, it, it's almost like your your asada as it is. Yep. You know, once you squeeze the lime and, and the pico in the asada, it's, it kind of has that same feel to it. Um, but yeah, I, I I'm a fan of the sisig taco. I I haven't put in the lumpia yet, but I'm definitely down to try it. Okay, so for those of uh, for those listeners who are not uh, who don't know what sisig is uh can you can you walk through a uh what csig actually is okay yeah it's pretty simple i it a lot of depending on what you put in it i mean i i would use just regular pork shoulder um a lot of people will put liver in it with pork or um i've even seen where they put bits and pieces like tripe in it and then it's it's uh it's more of a savory taste and it has a lot of citrus a lot of acid um some peppers and and that's i would say the basic flavor of it would be uh kind of a citrus okay so how do you prepare it so traditionally they use the traditional sea stick is is more like pig face parts and and, mm-hmm. liver. and what they i believe uh they first boil it then they to soften it up then they grill it then they fry it. So how do you prepare your seasoning? Yeah, see, since I only use a pork shoulder or butt, whichever piece, uh, whatever side you want to call it, um, basically I just take mine out and I'll have it marinating with the citrus and the juices and the acids that breaks it down a little bit. And after about you know a few hours, then I'll go ahead and just put it in a pan. I'll pan fry it or I'll use the flat top and fry it. <laughs> Okay. Before, do, you, do you chop it up and fry it? Yeah, you... I, 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 I dice it up pretty small, so there's not a whole lot. You don't have to cook it for too long to get the tenderness out of it. Plus, I don't use any of the ears or the face, so it's the, those pieces that really need a lot of attention when it comes to breaking it down. Um, you don't have to do that so much when you're just using this, just the shoulder. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because the pig face and, and all that, they take, you have to first uh, soften them up, and then... Mm-hmm you grill it for the texture and then you fry it right before mm-hmm. serving. Okay. So, so those are your, so we talked about your appetizers. We talked about your rolls. Uh, do you have any other appetizers besides the rolls and then, then the, uh, the loaded fries? And... Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything. Like I said, we have our loaded fries, we have our nachos, like we have the different sizes of stuff. And again, they're all just kind of creatively named. Like if you can get a large nacho, it's actually called a notorious because it's biggie. Um, <laughs> and then and then like our loaded fries, the, the loaded fry, the R&R style or the rock and roll style loaded fry is actually something that we came up with. Um, it's almost like taking a banh mi and throwing it on top of French fries. Okay, so- what so what goes into the the loaded fries? Because so our loaded fries, are, so there's some 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 like pickled radish or cilantro. Yeah, there's so what we do is we'll take our we, our hand cut French fries. Um, of course, we're gonna fry our hand cut French fries. We pull them out of the fire, um, then we season the fries, and that's topped with a little bit of cheese. Just kind of hold them all together. You know, everybody loves cheese, and then we'll top that with either chicken or pork. And we use our, um, we use a Korean barbecue style pork, almost like, it's got almost like the flavor of like a bulgogi. Okay. Um, that goes on top of the fries. And then we have tomatoes, uh, pickled carrot. Um, and then we dress it with the, uh, a little bit of uh, sriracha olives, like the sriracha mayo, and then a little bit of a hoisin sauce with um, cilantro at the very end. So yeah, it's, a, it's pretty, uh, it's kind of refreshing, but fried. Okay, so I like everything you just said. It sounds very <laughs> awesome. Okay, so let's go into your entrees. What are what entrees do you offer? I know you have a, a full burger uh, suite. So. Yeah, so yeah, for our burgers, I mean, pretty much anything that like we we have one that's not on the menu. It's called the Beyonce Burger. Uh, it's a hundred percent Angus beef, and then we um, some barbecue sauce, like homemade barbecue sauce. And then uh, top with an onion ring, because if you like it, then you better put a ring on it. 
kind of like okay. the song. Uh, so we had that one that's not on the menu. We have our uh, our Jesus burger. Uh, it's basically you have your burger and then it's topped with a chalupa shell. So like a tostada deep fried with chorizo okay. and then uh, melted cheese, pico, our homemade pico. And then we have a guacamole only. So it's like a, a guacamole mayo um, that we use to as a spread for that one. And then a, uh, and then just our regular burgers. Our burgers are made with like, again, 100% Angus and it's a half pound burger. Um, all open flame grilled and uh, toasted buns and then whatever toppings you like on top of that. Okay. Where do you get your bread? Where do you get your buns? Um, the buns are going to be our, we use the uh, ballpark tailgate buns. Okay. So we, those are just kind of standard. Uh, we are, do have ones that we're going to start using uh, like a brioche or a ciabatta because I'm a big fan of like the crunch on the outside and the soft on the inside. So we're working on those next. Okay, so besides the burgers, what else do you have uh, for entrees? So we have our burgers and then we have different tacos. We have our standard taco, which is, you know, a chicken fajita. We call that the plain Jane. Uh, you can get street tacos, which is uh, al pastor. Um, which is pork and it's also seasoned. It's almost like kind of a citrusy flavored pork. Okay. Um, we do have uh, the mariachi taco. That's again, it, it's this one's more like a bond me as well, but it's like it's but it's wrapped in a tortilla and it's got like the pork or chicken um, grilled. And then you have a uh, fresh tomato, uh, cabbage, pickled carrot, uh, cilantro, and then a sriracha mayo with a hoisin sauce. Um, so we do have that one as well. We serve uh, grilled adobo, and we also have our panse. You know, you gotta have, you gotta bring in the two popular ones if you, if you want to sell Filipino okay. food. You gotta have those. Yep. So, can you uh, go into more detail with the grilled adobo? First of all, is it uh, beef or I mean chicken or pork? Yeah, you can select either chicken or pork. Uh, basically, what we do is we cook the adobo you know, almost stand like in any other Filipino family would. Um, and then we drain the sabas, we take the juice out, and then I turn that into a glaze. So now your adobo, since it's been cooking for 30 to 45 minutes, depending what kind of meat you're using, um, has all the flavor infused inside of it. Okay. Now, the flavor, though, is when I pull it out of the juice, make the glaze, throw the meat on the grill, and then coat it with the, with the glaze, and then serve it over rice. Okay. So do you reduce to do, do you reduce the glaze somehow? Yes. Or, okay. You make a reduction. We, we make a reduction, but then we also use a little bit of a tapioca starch. Okay. Um, so we can get the get a little more thickness without giving it a cloudy color. Mm. So I gotta tell you, I really like that glaze. I think it's just well executed because it, it coats it with just the right amount of flavor. And then the thing is, like typically the chicken adobos are very, they can be, get very oily, right? Because you got mm -hmm. the oil that coming from the chicken or the pork and yours was just reduced perfectly with no oil. So it, it, it's just very well executed. Thank you. So, um, so that's a, so is there a difference between how you prepare the chicken and the pork? Um, only in the amount of time we use. And then of course, as you, some of the ingredients you, you lay off of and because you don't, just the way some of the meats absorb the flavor. Um, yeah, it, it's not a whole lot different, but more, more than anything, it's gonna be the time cook. Okay. Because the chicken, I mean, the pork takes longer, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then your punset. Um, how do you make your punset? Uh, punset pretty standard. We have a uh, standard mix of vegetables of water chestnuts, celery, beans, carrots to give it a lot of color. Um, of course, we use a, a the vermicelli style noodle, um, and not so much of the thick noodle, not the yellow, the yellow. Uh, Bihon or my okay. backwards. And then yeah, we, we use a thinner rice noodle like thinner, okay. style. So and then what do you use for the broth? Uh for the broth, normally you use like the chicken stock. Okay. That's um, pretty standard. 
yeah, kind of a standard chicken stock. If there, if we haven't done any chicken, like boiling a chicken, making our own stock, uh, we sometimes use like a um, the bouillon cube. Chicken bouillon, okay. Yeah, and that's that, that's very, that's pretty standard. Um, let me let me ask you this: Do you offer any vegetarian options? We do a, a lot of the stuff. I mean, simply because you, you kind of got to be smart with how you, you prepare your kitchen or prepare your food. Um, with our vegetarian options, basically, we just don't serve with meat. We don't okay. pre-mix our meat into any of the noodles or anything like that. So this way, we can just provide you with like a vegetarian uh, pancit. Now, if you want to have more vegetables or if you you know for that kind of thing, we could definitely add more. Um, as far as the lumpia goes, we do have our spin doctor. That's vegetable. Um, it's not vegan because there's cheese in it, but we do have the spin doctor, the return of the mac, that's the mac and cheese, uh, Olympia. So that one's also um, pretty much straight vegetable. And then we do have an actual veggie roll too. Okay. You now, know, actually, there was a couple of things. I, I forgot two cool appetizers that I didn't mention earlier. I completely forgot about them. One of them is called the Bitty Bitty Bomber, named after a Selena song. And it is our take on the um, bacon wrapped stuffed jalapenos. Uh, the difference that we have from other places or from the ones that you would get at the store pre-made or make your stuff is I fold Monterey Jack Jesus Wills like chorizo and other seasonings into our filling. Um, and then we wrap that with a, a thick hickory cut slice of bacon and then we we grill it from that, uh, like that. Oh, okay. that. Our bombers are real good. And then the last one, I, I don't know how I forgot this one. Uh, it's actually one of my favorites. It's called the Tommy Lee. He's a drummer <laughs> from a rock band. And this lumpia is the size of a drumstick. It's about, uh, I want to say it's about a foot long. And um, I would say about an inch and a half, two inches thick. It's a big lumpia. Okay, so what's it, <laughs> what goes in there? It, that's going to be our standard lumpia, so our authentic lumpia filling. Uh, with these, it's a, like a, uh, we use a chuck ground beef with vegetables. Okay, so you use beef for your lumpia. Yeah, because traditionally it's it's pork for lumpia in Shanghai. Okay, and then, so we we do the Shanghai sometimes, like by request, but mostly because it, just because people have a you know thing with pork, I I try to minimize like on how much pork I put out there, and uh, it's it's done well as far as people you know responding to having beef lumpia versus pork. Okay, so typically, so let me ask you this: and how you prepare your 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 meat lumpia is. The meat already cooked before you roll it and deep fry it, or do you let the the frying cook the meat? For our rock and rolls, for the the ones that we do, we have a it's pre cooked. Okay. So no, but then for the, for the when I do the, the Shanghai, yeah. when I do the yep. Shanghai, it, it's cooked in the fryer. Okay. Okay, because yeah, that's that's the traditional way. Mm -hmm. Um. So let me. I, I want to go circle back to your burgers. Have you? Considered using uh, longanisa as a topping, like correct? you know, I have not. That sounds that actually sounds really good. I think that would be a really good touch to a burger. So what you do is uh, it, every time I see chorizo on something, I say, "Hey, what, what will that taste like with with longanisa crumbles?" And it's typical. It's usually uh, it usually comes out really well. Mm -hmm. So I highly suggest if you, if you want to try this out, just top it uh, and substitute the uh, longanisa crumble. So what you have to do is you have to take it out of the skin and then you, you uh, saute it okay? mm -hmm. and then use it as a topping. The other thing I've done, uh, the, the other thing I've seen done and actually have done myself is uh, longanisa sliders. So that is, it, it's it's good. However, <laughs> you have to be very careful because longanisa traditionally has a lot of sugar, mm -hmm. and if you don't control your temperature, you, they they will get burnt. So oh, they will caramelize a, really quick. Your caramelize will go cool, cool yeah. quickly turn into crispiness. So. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. So I had to, uh, whenever I would do that, I would just use a very. Uh, low to medium temperature on, on the griddle. Mm. Sounds like a good idea. I, I'm going to get some at the run over to Tim's. And yep, you're going to have to try that out. Or you're, you're going to have to try some of my, I actually make homemade wild hog and bacon longanisa. 
Oh, that's good. Because um, I I harvest the wild hog myself, and then uh, I mix it up with bacon, and then just a, a traditional uh, recipe for longanisa, and then I make it skinless. And I actually make it so that um, instead of me rolling it, I figured out, hey, what if I just kind of use an ice cream scoop to scoop that into a griddle, then then flatten it like a like a smash burger. Mm-hmm. And then cook it two or three minutes each side, just to just to, just to temperature. And I found that works really well as like a breakfast patty. And I put that on a pandesal with some uh, some uh, fried egg. It's like a Filipino breakfast sandwich. That sounds phenomenal. Hey, so I will. Pro- how about if I do? I'll make a deal. I will make you my batch of wild hog and bacon longanisa, and. Uh, I'll bring it there, and can you? And I'll buy a burger. Can you top it with my wild hog and lung? Yeah, pizza? definitely. All right, all right, next time, dude. We'll do this in two weeks. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Okay, so um, all right. So I think all right. Let's, let's go. We talked about your entrees. So you have the uh, the pancit, and then you have the adobo. Did you have any other Filipino uh, inspired entrees? Um, no, we, every now and then we'll do like, it's like, I'll let people know more so, more so like the regulars. Um, I'll do a, I'll, I'll make ribs and I'll adobo those ribs. So I'll make ribs adobo style or even like with our wings. Um, I'll, sometimes I'll make extra, the glaze that I use when I glaze the, the, the adobo, when I put it back on the grill, I'll sometimes use that as a wing sauce. Um, so not quite Filipino, but we do, like I said, we do have wings and we, uh, they're pretty popular as well. And I'll use that adobo sauce to have like adobo coated, uh, buffalo, buffalo wings, so to speak. Okay. Have you tried them like boneless with just, um, so this way is like the perfect bar food. I have not yet. I'll have to check that out too. Yeah. I'm giving you homework. <laughs> okay, so so th- those are your entrees. Do you have any special desserts besides the dessert, uh, the dessert rolls? No, aside from the dessert rolls, we don't. You know, just to kind of keep, like I said, keep inventory down and expenses down. We don't. We don't carry a whole lot of desserts. Okay, and then since and plus you're at a bar, so yeah, they, no, there's not so many desserts. Don't pair typically with okay. whiskey. So what would you consider your signature dish? Like, what are you, what, what do you think you're known for? I personally, I think we're going to be most known for our roles. Um, the, yeah, because we have a different, like we have a, a variety of different ones. Um, and, and really that's how I, I wanted it to be. Uh, I wanted Lumpia to take off and, and it, and it is, and, and I'm, I'm been definitely happy about it, seeing all the new places pop up and, but I would like people to start recognizing Lumpia as like the new Buffalo wing, yep. you know, uh, the next time you go to a football party, it's like, you know, there's a bunch of wings and right next to the wings, there's a stack of Lumpia. And, um, that, the, the, the that's my goal. And, and I think I wouldn't have to say that would be our, our signature dish would be the Lumpia. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, cause they are wonderful. Um, have you gotten a lot of traction on the seasick C- tacos? Um, I haven't put out there for, for sale per se. Um, like I said, most of the time I'll do that. It's like a kind of an off menu thing and I'll let the regulars know, or okay. I'll have the waitresses kind of put out there. Hey, we have a sushi taco. And the, the, it, what makes it tough is having to explain that, um, in that environment. Uh, cause after a certain time, it's, it's very just fast paced. So you have the signature and that's also your, your roles are your, your most popular, right? Yes. Okay. Um, so I think we're good with the menu. I did want to talk to you more about the, now let's go back to the restaurant, like the challenges that you had to go through with the restaurant. It was starting with, uh, with, uh, with COVID. How, how did COVID affect your, uh, you know, opening the restaurant, operating the restaurant? How did, what kind of effect did that have on your business? I, I want to say COVID, is, it was a, a blessing curse. Like it, it did everything. Okay. Um, because we were all still barely coming out for COVID, uh, again, in order for them to open the bar, they needed a kitchen. So when they opened that bar, we were very, 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 very busy um, when they first started to relax on COVID. Um, now, with that being said, though, it was still 
you know, it was still very challenging because it, it, like I said, we, we just jumped into this business and I say we, but I just jumped into the business of a restaurant. And it's like, all right, well, this is what, you know, this is what business is like. This is how busy it gets. This is, you know, where we need to be. And then it started to slow down and trickle down a little bit. And then when the second round of COVID hit, that really put a hurt on things. Um, you know, people got scared all over again. They started to see the vaccines weren't working or they were not as promising as they thought they were. Um, and people started staying in more. So I had to rely on going back to having food delivered. Okay. Um, and it was just kind of, it was made tough because it's, you, you, you have to shift gears. And if you change your style of how you get most of your revenue um, to being in-house, like, you know, dine in, and then you have to jump back into delivery, you know, it's just, it, it, it's just a, a pretty hard transition to do when you're having to do it with a small kitchen and, you know, just starting out. So yeah, COVID hit us pretty hard um, as far as the business is concerned. But it looks like you weathered the storm. Right? So far, you know, and, and that's, we weathered the COVID storm and, and now we're going through a whole nother storm with inflation and cost of everything going up and people not wanting to spend money um, or, you know, being afraid to leave the house because the cost of gas. Um, it, it, it's a, I think some of the, it's a very tough thing because, you know, you, you try desperately to hold on to your prices and, you know, so that, you know, your customers, you don't want to anger any of them. And then at the same time, you have to understand, you know, know your value. So you want to increase your prices, but to do that, you have to revamp your entire menu. So then you have to send that off to the press again. And, you know, it's, it, it's a, it's an ongoing battle. It's kind of an up and down kind of thing. So, so how are you dealing with the inflation? Are you having to, what kind of menu adjustments did you have to make? Uh, we tried our best not to change a whole lot. Um, my thought process is, you know, how can we minimize change? Because a lot of people don't take to change very well. So we, we only increase like our prices by a couple cents per item. Um, and uh, we rely on selling more items so that, you know, those couple cents turns into more dollars so, so that we can, you know, kind of get through this and, and see how, how it weather and uh, basically see how it plays out with the new storm that's coming, which is the inflation storm this time around. Okay. And then um, with the supply chain problems, uh, has that affected you at all? That, that was actually really rough. Um, for a while, we, so we would normally order our wings uh, pre-cut and a certain size. And <laughs> we had the nine and 10 wings on Wednesday. Uh, we had to take that off the menu. We had to stop doing that because at some point you'd buy a case of wings and you're looking at, uh, I think it was about $170 almost for a case. See 40 pounds, yeah, about 175 to $180 for a case of wings. And there was about 230 wings in there. So now you're, if you did a 99 cent wing day, you're looking at a $70 profit for yeah. just for an entire case. And now that doesn't account for the oil that you just destroyed with all the blood from the wings. It doesn't account for the $15 or $20 you spent on sauces, you know? So now you're, you, you, a lot of things we just couldn't do um, for, uh, for a time until it started to level out. And it just kind of started recently leveling out. Um, but even still that, you know, with the shortages and whatnot, their prices still are kind of high, and, or at least a lot higher than we're used to seeing. And uh, you just got to kind of make adjustments on, you know, on our end, we, we're just trying to do everything we can to keep our prices fair. Yeah, because that's it. That seems like you're you're, you're going to be taking a loss with that with with that price point. Yeah, like, at that time with that price point, we were yeah we had to stop that. But like I said, since it, since then it leveled off about a few months later, about a year later, so we could bring that back. And now the nice thing is we we don't have we have the luxury of not relying on things like just chicken. You know, and that's what makes it tough for these businesses like Wingstop and Wayne's and, and these guys who rely on that when that's like their number one seller, um, their profit line, the, the, the margin for their profit is not very high. So they have to have really expensive stuff. Luckily for us, we lead more towards the lumpia and we, like I have to put in more labor 
because we're making all the stuff from scratch. Um, so that allows us to keep our prices a little bit where they are because our we don't the the markup is good and and um, and, and like I said, like I put more labor into it so that I don't have to make the price much higher since I'm not buying stuff pre-made. Okay. So, what other challenges uh, have you seen that maybe there's challenges that people don't really know about, right? As a restaurant uh, owner. Yeah, being an owner, some of the things that I found like. The, the big challenges is, you know, I, I want to say just the cost of a lot of things and things you don't realize that cost money. You know, people were like, oh, well, that's so expensive when you're selling it for this. But I'm like, well, you take into consideration, there's a lot of stuff that we do that don't, does not bring in money. Like when you order souffle cups, um, you're looking at like $30 for lids and $30 for the, for the box souffle cups that the sauces go in. Uh, when you have to, all the sauces that go into wings, that stuff costs money. To-go boxes, those are ridiculous and expensive these days. Um, with dishes and things like that, I spend, I want to say I spend like $20 per pack of like eight baskets. And those things get thrown away constantly. <laughs> and I'm not sure why or how they, they disappear. People want to take menus and those things have to be printed out over and over. You know, that's a, that's a challenge. So a lot of things, that, these costs that people don't realize um that these restaurants are, are paying for you know that that to someone and it's like well that's only like 10 cents for a, a packet of sauce you know that's not a big deal well when if i give away 50 packets of sauce in a day now you're looking at five dollars five dollars times five days a week that's 25 dollars a week times four weeks that's a hundred dollars a month in just packets of sauce you so know? everything adds up right Definitely. Everything adds up. And, and, and that's a big thing that a lot of people don't understand when you go into business as a restaurant. Another thing is everyone's like, well, I don't say everyone, but a lot of people are, you, well, you get to do what you love. You love cooking. You cook great. That's, you know, that's like the fun part of it. You know, you're getting cr to create stuff and then put your creation out there and then people enjoy it. That's the fun part. There's still a part when you're a small business, how many times I've stuck my hand inside the sink and pulled out old food to get a clog out, you know, <laughs> it's disgusting. Uh, there's just a lot of things like, you know, cleaning a dish pit, you know, cleaning out, like picking up people's food and, you know, busting tables and all that stuff and, and going home smelling like grease all the time. There's a lot of work that goes into it that you don't take into consideration. You know, a house, if you cook in your house and the, the smell doesn't quite stick to your clothes as much because you're cooking once a day or maybe twice a day, if that, you know, but when you're spending eight to 10 hours in the kitchen next to two commercial fryers, like, yeah, that, that has a tendency to stick to you. Now that that's another rough one. Uh, people don't realize also that when you run a business, there's no days off. There's not, you know, it, it sounds all sounds fancy and sounds fun, but there, there's no days off until like you have, until you get well established and I mean, we're not quite there yet, but I'm hoping to get there. <laughs> so for the meantime, it, it's a whole lot of sacrifice when it goes into opening business, especially a restaurant during these times. Okay. So I was going to ask you about that. What do you actually do on your days off that are still the business that people don't know about? <laughs> um, normally my days off, I, I do stuff with my I have a four-year-old and then I have a 13-year-old. Um, I take my four-year-old to martial arts class and that's a lot of fun for me. And we just do a lot of things together. And then uh, my girlfriend and I do a lot of things. Um, we're big fans of like playing darts and, and watching music. Like we go to a lot of concerts, like, like live shows, like small bands, local stuff. I do. And then we like to do, every time we get a chance, we like to do a little bit of dancing. That that's fun too for us. And what, what kind of dancing? Uh, I, I'm a big fan of two-step. I like a lot of country music. Okay. A lot of my friends kind of make fun of me that, you know, you're, you're Filipino, you look a little Hispanic, you sing rock and you write country music. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's, that's just life. Yeah. So you're not the stereotype then? No, definitely not. Okay. Not, not your stereotypical Filipino anymore. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this about the, uh, I wanted to ask you about the future you have planned for your restaurant so are there plans to expand 
uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I, what are your what are, what are your plans for the future? You know, I told myself about? I told myself I'd give it a few years, you know, at least two or three years, and, and see how it all pans out. Like I, I again, this is the start off as like a, a hobby thing for me, and then it turned into a project, which turned into a, a career, so to speak. So um, I'd like to in the next year or so have another location and a food truck. That'd be nice. Um, I, the, the the big challenge is that is getting people who can do what you do or have the same work ethic as you or the same mindset as you. Um, and, you know, that that's like one of the biggest challenges. But yeah, I, I would like to have another location. Uh, I'd like to have a brick and mortar and I'd like to have a food truck. Those would be my okay. next few steps. Have you had a food truck before? Um, we did. We had a small food truck that we, it was basically just a satellite. We, it wasn't a truck that we would move around or take anywhere. Um, but I did have a friend who owned a bar. And okay. in order for him to open his bar, he needed food out there. So what I basically did was uh, he had a small food truck and we would shuttle our food from from our, our spot over Doc Brown's to the other place. And and uh, we had minimal equipment in there. And we would just, you know, sell food so that he can keep his bar open. Okay. And then so that's within the next couple of years. What do you think, like five, 10 years from now, where do you want to be? Um, probably on a beach somewhere, sipping margaritas. There you that go. It's, it's, about, it's about margarita, one o'clock, yeah, eating lunch somewhere on a nice beach. Um, <laughs> yeah, that sounds in, like in a good plan. Years, <laughs> it, it, if I can, if I, it, you know, again, hopefully the economy rebounds and, and people start to want to work again. and um the nice thing is people need to eat so you know hopefully in five years the we'll gain a lot of ground as far as building the brand building the uh, putting loompy out there is you know the next buffalo wing and and then we'll be able to like i said expand and have a few other places so that i can have you know i, I have some family members that that you know i i would trust to run them um put, see. by then I put my when I put my 13 year old to work he'd be 18 by then so yeah he can yeah oh you can put your 13 year old to work now <laughs> oh yeah he, that, that he is does. traditionally he does but on 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 the hush <laughs> he's a great dishwasher I tell you oh, there you go the, 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 that that's a very valuable skill in, in your industry okay so let's see hey I think it's that time to do the lightning round so I'm right. going to ask you a whole bunch of questions. I want you to answer first thing that comes to mind. Don't think about it. OK? You ready? Okay. All right, mm -hmm. let's go. Sinigang versus Bulalo. Sinigang. Chicken adobo versus pork adobo. Pork. Ube versus Macapuno. Oh, ube. Jollibee chicken joy or Max's fried chicken? Jollibee. What is the one food you would never want to give up? Rice. Your favorite non-Filipino restaurant? Roosters. Favorite Filipino? Filipino. Okay, that's that's all right. They have roosters. They have a roosters food truck. Favorite Filipino restaurant that is not yours? Chakti. Top silog versus long silog? Top silog. Cats or dogs? Dogs. How many hours of sleep do you need? Four. Star Trek or Star Wars? Star Wars. What is your guilty pleasure? Karaoke. What's the fastest you have ever driven in a car? 160. Holy cow. You were, yeah, you were, uh, it was a you bike. were Porsche, right? Okay. Climb <laughs> yeah, that a was, mountain. That was actually my jigsaw. It was a bike. Climb a mountain or jump from a plane? Jump. LA or New York? LA. If Kim Kardashian and Donald Trump were both drowning and you could only save one, who would it be? Trump. Would you rate, how would you rate your karaoke skills on a scale of one to Mar Mariah Carey? Or now Panetta. Ask permission <laughs> or beg forgiveness? Forgiveness. Do you believe in love at first sight? Yes. Last one. Describe your restaurant in one word. Can I say two words, but with one meaning? I would sure. say, yep. hell yeah. Okay, good. Okay, that's the lightning <laughs> round. Awesome. Good. Well, okay, so let me ask you this. I am putting together an adobo cooking competition in October, and this is invitation only. I would like for you to, to compete in this uh, cooking competition. It's on October 23rd. Do you accept? I do. Let's go. Awesome. There you go. We'll see you at the Adobo Throwdown October 23rd. We're going to have uh, some karaoke out there. 
of course. <laughs> We're Filipinos. <laughs> there's birds, there's karaoke. Okay, so let's go ahead and wrap this up. What is the best way to get a hold of you? Uh, you can reach me at uh, rock and rolls Texas at gmail.com or uh, 210-378-2127. Okay, and do you also have a website? Our website is www.rockandrollstx.com. Awesome. We'll go ahead and get that posted on, on the, uh, the show notes. All right. So thank you so much, David. This has been a blast. Heck yeah. Thanks a lot, Gene. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Turu Turo, the Filipino restaurant podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Salamat po at magkita tayo sa susunod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you in the next episode.